Well, hello, awesomers. It's me. It's your old buddy, Steve Simonson. And we're uh, we're doing another awesomers episode today, trying to squeeze in just a little bit of uh, information and uh, hopefully some insights. Uh, maybe that's maybe that's meeting me more than halfway to consider my comments insightful. But uh, nevertheless, here I am. Uh, it's it's a busy time, as I mentioned on the last podcast. And that's just the, you know, that's the um, ante to the party, uh, as it were, right? So we all uh, <laughs> have uh, various schedules, and the most of my schedules are permission-based problems, everybody. So a permission-based problem is the kind of problem that I created for myself. Uh, so when I'm looking around for who's to blame for me missing nap time day to day, I only have to look in the mirror. And uh, yeah, so there you go. So uh, today I want to just talk very briefly about two, uh, I think, uh, interesting and um, momentum shifting concepts that are happening in the e-commerce community and indeed the Amazon seller community right now today. Uh, the first subject will be about kind of the China lockdowns, Shanghai specifically, um, and also the the concept of what's happening with aggregators and the ability to exit your business. And what, if anything, has changed. The Marketplace Pulse released an article not so long ago that suggests that some aggregators are pausing valuations. We're going to talk a little bit about that. So if you uh, buy any products from overseas, uh, China especially, or you ever want to sell your business, this is probably a good episode to pay close attention to. So we're not going to dive into a bunch of technical details, but we are going to talk in large part just about uh, what an average seller should think of when they think of um, you know, both the day-to-day -day tactical level of uh, containers and logistics and supply chain and so forth, but then also the big picture, the, the long-term picture of, hey, how am I building equity in my business? And how will I realize that equity in some sort of monetization? Uh, notably, people right now say, well, gosh, I will sell my business, my FBA business, for example, or my Shopify business to some sort of aggregator. These are the people who are uh, rolling up companies. And I haven't talked a great deal about aggregators on the podcast, but I, I intend to. In fact, I I've uh, invited some aggregators onto the podcast and, and we may do some spotlights on each of them where we give them the voice to kind of share some of the differences in how they approach the business versus others uh, in the business. And I think, you know, my objective is to make it insightful and make it something that you guys can use as a reference tool as you consider uh, selling your business. Now, I, I do want to be clear. I don't do any deals with any aggregators. I don't do any deals with anybody. Um, but I do recommend that you kind of go through Empowery for uh, any exit consultations. So through Empowery, you can be introduced to brokers. You can be introduced to aggregators. And there's kind of a, a, a questionnaire that we run you through to determine is now the right stage to exit? Um, if so, based on your criterion of importance, I'm making that a, a word, criterion. Um, what is the best strategy for you? So in some cases, you should hire kind of a middle uh, to small broker. 
in other cases, you should hire a big, you know, kind of um, let's call it uh, Wall Street type of private equity or not private equity investment banking firm to help you with your exit. And in other cases, you should just exit immediately uh, through the aggregator of choice based on different EBITDA um, thresholds and different expectations you may have. And all of that, by the way, is is free to an Empowery member. Uh, I don't make any money out. Remember, I'm a volunteer at Empowery, and uh, it's a nonprofit trade association and cooperative that's owned by the members. And so uh, I, by the way, highly encourage you to go check out Empowery.com. We've got a new platform over there that's been under development. It's still got some some wrinkles in it that we'll iron out over time. But a lot of the things I'm going to talk about today, specifically, I post data points and nuggets of information kind of on the regular uh, over at Empowery.com. So you'll see in various groups, I post about, you know, the aggregators, or I post about um, a trade uh, war type stuff or lockdowns or other things, whether they're geostrategic in nature or they are tactical in nature, you know, pay-per-click costs going up. I post a lot of that stuff over there, as do other resources inside of Empowery. So I highly recommend you check that out. And, uh, you know, you may as well just join as a member over there. Click the join now button and be a part of the movement. Uh, I, I think you'll be glad you did. And again, Empowery is kind of, you know, uh, a labor of love over here. So uh, there's no kind of hardcore interest that I have to to squeeze something out of uh, empowering for myself. I think it's something that's important for the industry. All right, so onward and upward. So let's first talk about the fact that uh, Shanghai is in the middle of kind of a two-stage lockdown. Uh, they they locked down half the city on one side of the river, and then the other side of the river, you know, is supposed to be locked down. The interesting thing is there are only four-day lockdowns. Uh, we don't know if that will work. Um, and the unintended results of the lockdowns are where people basically have to run out and grab food, right? And so they, they kind of have a slogan in the lockdown cities. It's like, first snatch food, then get your, your, your test. A nucleic acid test is what they call it. Um, because you, everybody in Shanghai, everybody must get those tests. And that means they're testing an entire city twice, by the way, over the course of that four days. Uh, I think cities, you know, plus or minus 25 million people. And they're going to run, that's 50 million tests, right, that they're going to run at a not insignificant cost, right? All the, the labor and people uh, required to perform those tests. And then various people who have shown exposure based on proximity on WeChat to uh, a confirmed case, they have to go into various quarantine zones depending on the, the localization or how, maybe I should say it differently, based on the proximity to the exposure. So some are more locked down than others, but everybody's locked down. And I, I just want to remind everybody in the Western world, you know, you and I that have faced um, so-called lockdowns or, you know, flatten the curve time zones, even in very oppressive ways, like Australia, uh, Canada, and some parts of the U.S., we, we never had it as bad as, as uh, China in terms of kind of the, the significant, often referred to as draconian measures. And you could judge for yourself. Again, if you go to Empower, I've posted several uh, videos 
that you can watch right on Empowery that show some of the quarantine areas, some of the, the, you know, the vegetable frenzy, everybody's trying to get food because they know that during the lockdown, they can't get food uh, very easily. And, and some of the other conditions that I think will surprise you, to be honest with you, if you watch, you know, half a dozen of those uh, over the course of the last couple of months, you'll be highly uh, in tune with what's happening there. And it's, it's, you know, uh, human wise, the cost is high. And again, the, the unintended consequences of these things is not insignificant. So uh, the point of this is, A, let's, let's acknowledge the human suffering, and it sucked, and we hope it goes away soon. But B, there are other consequences despite them trying to manage. So in Shanghai, which is the largest port in the world, they have tried to maintain port operations during this uh, lockdown period. So various workers can get permits. And this includes other uh, workers who can get kind of essential permits for food delivery or truck drivers or what have you. But it's it's not highly efficient uh, by any stretch. And as a matter of fact, a lot of the people that I talk to inside of China, uh, they are they're highly concerned not just about the flow of goods, right? That affects sellers, right? The flow of containers, but even the flow of food to uh, them you know, each of the local areas. And this is not unique to Shanghai. As, as various parts of the country face these lockdowns, Shenzhen went in and came out of a lockdown already. Um, and there's parts up north, uh, Jilin, I believe, that is uh, locked down and, and other places as well. Qingdao has been uh, threatening uh, lockdowns. These are significant and they can disrupt trade. So I want you guys, if your stuff is coming out of Shanghai, whether it's by air or ocean or what it have you, Make sure that you're tracking your shipment every single day, because even though the port may be open, a lot of the truck drivers are not able to get through. And I posted a story about, you know, how truck drivers are, are basically, they're having shills take the tests, but they're not all truck qualified truck drivers. Uh, it's kind of like in the old days, uh, you know, when people are trying to beat drug tests, they would just have, you know, some kid on the corner pee in the cup. And that's what they're doing uh, is having, you know, shills take those uh, acid tests, nucleic acid tests. Uh, so just to prove the point that you can do black hat just about anything. Uh, but what I want you guys to pay attention to is I want you to pay attention to shipments. We have one person and their entire job is just to track every single container order that we have pending or in process. So at any given time, we may have you know, six to 900 containers in the process from PO to shipment. And right, because that covers the course of several months. And so we have to just kind of track, did the raw materials arrive? Uh, you know, did the raw materials acclimate? Uh, what is the, you know, the next uh, piece of the sandwich that's going together? And is that, are all these pieces moving? Because what we don't want is to be surprised at the end of our production cycle that takes, you know, three to six weeks in, in various cases. And they go, oh yeah, it's late. And because we never got the, the film for this, or we never got the, you know, the, some other component for this material. Now you're six weeks behind. We want to know immediately the worst news, the fastest. And that's a pretty good uh, rule for you guys. Find out the worst news, the fastest. So you can start making uh, plans and preparations um, and maybe it's related to what you decide to put on Prime Day. Maybe it's related to uh, your pricing right now, because inventory still has a significant advantage versus non-inventory. 
there's almost no place in the Western world, and, and this actually goes for the developing world too, there's almost no place you go and not see empty shelves in major uh, chains and major stores, which, which means the small stores have the same problem. So we have this weird dichotomy coming up where inventory is short, demand is high, but there's a high risk of recession that's coming. And so that, that may flip at some point, right? The teeter-totter may flip between inventory is an advantage to don't overstock because demand may actually shrink a bit during a recession. Um, and, and there's a lot of economic factors that, again, I, I often just put on Empowery. I'm not sharing very much off of Empowery. And the reason why is because I think that, you know, Twitter and Facebook and I deleted Instagram and TikTok, most of those are all just, they're just garbage. And we're just indentured servants for those big social media companies to sell ads off of our content, right? We create content or we create things. And the truth is we're just the, we're the product for those big companies. And that's not the case on Empower. You know, you're not being sold. There's, your usage and, you know, there's no targeting, there's no uh, uh, efforts to, to be uh, oppressive to the people where it's just there as a platform to communicate. And that, that you know, whether or not people ever show up at Empower in mass, right, because everybody's already got all their social things, I don't know. I really don't know that answer yet. But it's because I don't want it to be a predatory environment to share information in because it makes me kind of complicit. If Facebook has a bunch of scammy ads about, you know, uh, get rich quick schemes and FBA of the day uh, sellers and, you know, kind of all these things that, that I'm kind of almost putting my name on um, tacitly, right? I'm not actively doing it, but if I'm talking about something that's really important to me or delivering some uh, ideally valuable content at some point, and there's other things on the page, it's, it's kind of like those things, whether they're good or bad, are connected to me. And I just don't like that. And I, I really encourage you guys to take a moment to think about, you know, being that indentured servant for social media. It's not, not awesome. So, so Shanghai, follow what's happening there. It's not just Shanghai. Again, there's other ports that are there in question. Um, we don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know why four days is suddenly a, a reasonable lockdown period when, you know, it was a longer period before. And again, the unintended consequences, if you go watch these videos, people are showing up in massive kind of um, formations of people, just massive amounts of people rushing through the grocery stores, panic buying. And then they have to line up for these, you know, uh, nucleic acid tests, uh, which essentially is a COVID test. And, and those are giant lines. And, and then they throw in quarantine zones that are full of packed full of people like sardines. So I don't understand how this is better. Uh, but I, I'm not a scientist. What do I know? Uh, I'm just a, you know, just a, a guy who uses his brain cells as best I can. Um, okay, so that's, I, I want you guys to expect disruption in China. And this is not going to be a short term. Uh, I said this in the fall, get ready for COVID the sequel. Well, it's here. And uh, uh, you, you may as well uh, become aware that it's not going away anytime soon, uh, because I think personally, everybody on planet Earth will get uh, COVID exposure. And whether they have symptoms or not, they will get it. And that's just the nature of the beast. You'll see, I expect the UK and the US and Canada and, you know, the developed world 
all having spike in cases. Uh, but because it's uh, this BA2 version of Omicron seems to be uh, less uh, caustic, less dangerous, um, you know, it doesn't appear that it's going to, to create further problems beyond the, you know, tragedy of hitting the elderly or those that are uh, compromised in some other way. So that's, that's that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this idea that aggregators are, um, they're changing their tone a little bit. And this is, this is inevitable, by the way. So Marketplace Pulse, uh, they, they put out an article. I'm going to say, let me just see if I can find a date here, actually. March 29th. So uh, just within the last few days of the recording of this podcast. And basically, they're saying, hey, a few uh, aggregators have paused acquisitions. And by the way, there's a few aggregators that have failed and got gobbled up by other bigger aggregators, not because they were such a big win, but just because that's the way things are done. Um, you know, when you have kind of a, a, a pile of garbage, but still some um, underlying assets, you, you just try to sell it to somebody upstream at any valuation. Nobody in that deal who's being sold out is, is going to make money. Maybe they have some small amount of stock in the, the future venture, but uh, it's highly unlikely that they'll be um, considered a, a, you know, a big success in the end, even if the, the company who acquired them uh, does well. So Marketplace uh, Pulse basically says, hey, listen, you know, aggregators want to do more deals directly. They don't want to go through brokers and investment makers, which implies that those brokers and investment makers are adding higher valuations, right? That, that means they, in fact, if that's true, they add value. And I'll be honest with you, I, I uh, uh, bought and, and launched a site called aggregatorwars.com because I wanted to gather up a bunch of data. You know, what are the valuations and, and just a kind of a, a whole series. I think I found 60 or 70 different variables that I wanted to be able to share with the industry in an anonymous way, right? So an aggregator might say, well, here's the deals we've done. Here's the valuations. Here's the, you know, the performance. And I would anonymize it so nobody gets, you know, embarrassed. And then I would aggregate it to where everybody can kind of see what's happening on uh, mass and, and see where's the market heading and what are the, the things. But the truth is, after speaking with a bunch of aggregators, there's a pretty high chance that they don't really want that information to be shared. And although they would like it for themselves, they don't want to share their own information. And this is kind of the catch-22, right? Everybody wants it, but nobody wants to give it. And uh, so who knows where that'll go, but you can check out aggregatorwars.com. Uh, and we're still going to uh, make some overtures and, and see if we can, you know, pull a little something together there. But, you know, why would aggregators pause buying companies? You know, they've raised, they have not paused fundraising, by the way, they're now past 15 billion in total kind of funds raised. And that, by the way, includes equity and debt. Uh, and I should tell you that debt's going to get a lot more expensive as uh, the interest rates go up and inflationary pressures uh, reach home, which actually changes and, and has the potential to change the capital structure of these, these companies, which means if they are not buying and executing really well, and this goes for any buyer, then they're going to face much harder economic headwinds. And if they can't hit you know, kind of high return on equity, for their investors and their, their lenders, 
then they're going to they're going to really have to ratchet down their transactions until they really get good at executing and only picking the best deals that are likely to pay off. And this is natural, by the way. This is a bifurcation. Instead of just going, I have an FBA business, give me a lot of money. They're going to go, no, no. Let's look at that business and let's look at the fundamentals. You know, let's look at your, your rates of growth. Let's look at your profit. Let's look at your leverage, uh, that the rate that your profit is growing faster than your you know, top line is growing. That's, that's what we call leverage. Uh, or let's look at you know, these other factors. What assets do you have? What kind of management team do you have? What kind of people? You know, a lot of people don't realize, but companies are often bought for talent pools, right? You, you don't just buy for products. You know, if you have a very talented team and, you know, great executives and they know how to execute, sometimes they might just buy that company to go run five or 10 or, you know, 20 other companies to help that management structure of the aggregator. So there's a lot of reasons why these deals happen, but they're inherently going to come back to fundamental values. This is a, this is how the capitalist system works. You pay as much as you can pay until you can't pay that much anymore. And operational skills will be a factor for every buyer of any business ever. What, what happens is when the market gets frothy, people, you know, their, their focus gets a little more blurry. But as the reality of buying those things and the deal heat that goes along with it kind of fades away and the, the stark fact of having to deal with the consequences of, well, we bought that thing, it's not growing. Why is that? What are we going to do about it? And I do want to point out, by the way, that, you know, um, Kevin King and I, our business product savants, we are kind of all about that growth leverage, right? And so this is a, a really key thing for not just aggregators to pay attention to, but if you sold your business or you're, you're thinking of how can you get growth levers, at Product Savants, we find products that have high potential to rank on Amazon. So this is a key phrase, a, a, a group of keywords. And then we find the source of the product that, you know, wherever that may be, it could be China, often is, could be India, uh, regularly is, uh, it could be, you know, Mexico or the United States, it could be anywhere, but we try to find the best place that makes you peel ready to order, right? You need to order samples, but you're ready to place a peel right then. So you got the idea, you got the product, you got kind of some general ideas of uh, the data set, and you've got the, the vendor sussed down already. This means you're ready to go. You're, you're good to go. And aggregators in particular are going to try to find those bolt-ons where they can just do, we'll do like a five product brand genesis package, we call it. And well, if you sold a business, that's a great way to get started because you can get started really fast and really inexpensively. And you just have kind of a, an upfront fee and a, a, a little royalty on the back end. So anyway, that was an unintended plug there, but uh, that's, that's the levers of growth that every business will need. That includes aggregators, by the way. So don't uh, think that you know somehow aggregators are exempt from economic um, realities. They are not. We all have economic realities. And as I used to tell people, you know, when they would give me kind of unreasonable expectations or demands, I would say, well, listen, the laws of physics still apply. So unless you can do something about gravity, we're going to have a challenge hitting that unreasonable thing that you've given us. 
And I do think that, you know, there are some aggregators that will have trouble living up to the, the hype and living up to the, some of the, the pain that they set themselves up for by kind of having a giant appetite and having giant resources without being able to, um, you know, kind of fully understand what it takes to do a, a roll-up and operationally uh, what it takes. Uh, but none of that means that it's not a good idea to roll up. Every business consolidates. So this will happen, even though some people will will uh, kind of flame out over time. That I have talked about. Uh, it also doesn't mean that good businesses can't be sold. So in the same way that I tell people, you know, when they're concerned about, you know, unemployment or they're concerned about this or that, I'm like, hey, skills get paid. Just build skills and you always get paid. And that's, that's true of any business. Run your business like it's, um, like it's never going to be sold, right? So that you don't think of your business as something that you're, you're just, you know, kind of um, waiting to kick off to somebody else. You run it like you're going to have it forever. And you make sure that you treat it in a way that is like, if I have this forever, I'm going to be happy and it's going to produce income for me you know, through profit and it's going to be manageable and it's going to be something that I'm proud of. If you do that, your valuation will be much higher than the kind of uh, flip it and skip it kind of folks out there. So, and, and, you know, I've seen people who've, who've done more than one, you know, or two or three deals with uh, aggregators. And some of these folks are getting kind of a, a bad reputation because uh, it turns out that they are, you know, kind of more flash than uh, substance in these cases. Uh, that's, of course, not always the case. Uh, but all of these realizations of the marketplace of humans are being realized now by the industry and by aggregators and brokers and so forth. And so they're going to see, uh, you know, a little bit of a shakeup. I do think deal size will probably increase for the, the best aggregators. They don't want to do you know, the smaller, smaller deals, because it's easier for them to bolt on products to their, their current brands. Uh, I also think that the, the more fundamental strength that your business has, the better valuation you'll command the market. That's again, capitalist and economic reality. And the more crappy your business is, or the slower growth, the tougher we're going to find the headwinds of, you know, making a sale. Now, the interesting thing is that this will actually, this will actually create a new tier of aggregator. And we'll just call them the value aggregator. So there's going to be somebody who's really good at uh, operations and really good at taking, you know, kind of product potential and any kind of product, uh, I don't know, we'll call them advantages or moats like reviews or history or, you know, some strength so there has to be something to the business, but let's say the operator is not that good, or maybe they were undercapitalized, or maybe it's just that it's super competitive and it takes a lot of capital to compete in that market. There's going to be a tier that's just running out and grabbing value plays where they're not only are the valuations going to be lower, many of them are going to be not cash up front. They're going to be uh, you continue to operate the business and we're going to do an earnout, and it's going to be, you know, uh, kind of a, a interesting or more complex financial structure than just give me a bunch of money at closing and, and I'll pray about the earnouts, but not really anticipate getting the earnouts. Well, they're going to get much more um, 
uh, I'll say hard-headed about those things where, you know, there, there's a bunch of businesses that I could buy for one times, one and a half times EBITDA, maybe less, by the way, and demand almost no money down and paying those things as they earn out over time. So let's say over two to three years. So essentially, it's like a leveraged buyout. This, this value class will end up buying, some of them will flame out. That's just the nature of business. But they're going to be able to find bigger wins. And that value player may actually end up gobbling up some of the, the bigger, flashier um, aggregators. So there's a lot of ways this, this thing can go. But I want to give just a couple takeaway messages. So first of all, for sellers, which is obviously my focus, there's still absolute upside. You can absolutely sell your business and you'll be able to sell it for the maximum market valuation, the better your fundamentals are. Okay. So does the market ebb and flow? Absolutely it does. And once again, people's memory is short, right? You, you see a line that's just going straight up. You're like, there's nothing but upside here. But without seeing a long enough contextual view of the market, you don't realize that everything kind of goes up and down. Maybe there is an overall arc up or an overall arc down, depending on the, the trend. But these spikes that are highs and lows are not going to stay that way forever. Shipping container prices will not stay this high forever, but I can't say when they will go down. Uh, I, I can predict at some point in the future, maybe it's a year, maybe it's three years, where container companies are back to losing money and container prices are back in the crapper and you know they can't, they can't move enough goods on containers because people have shifted their, their supply chains or the demand has just fallen off a cliff, like there's a lot more ships coming online and so forth. So the, the point I'm getting at is everything changes. That's okay. Don't panic about it. Be thoughtful about it. Think about what is changing my business? How do I bring my products to market? How can I leverage uh, success? And that means, you know, whatever products are working for you, focus on those and kill the losers. And I, I recommend you get really, really pragmatic about that. The turn and earn ratio, which I've talked about before, if you got products below a certain ratio in that turn and earn, you have to set those ratios for yourself. But if it's below that ratio, kill that thing, turn that trash into cash, sell it as fast and as cheap as you have to, to get it off the books and put it into the products that are winning. Now is the time to be pragmatic. Now is the time to become a very, very good operator. Because when the tide goes up, everybody kind of wins. But I guarantee you, when the tide starts to come down and those rocky shoals start to appear, there will be so many boats torn asunder because of the, the crazy conditions that they never expected. They always just assume everything's just going to keep going up. So this is not a doomsday message. This is a preparation message. With the economic headwinds that are out there, and you know, a year ago I started talking about inflation, and people are like, ah, it's transitory, and other people are like, ah, it's in your imagination, and now people are like, ah, there's inflation, and I'm telling you, that's here to stay for some period of time. Um, also, the cost of capital is going to go up, right, as the the Fed's raising the interest rates, that's going to have an impact on your supplier. It's going to have an impact on you, and I want you guys to be very pragmatic about it. Uh, there are lots of things that you can do to be a very, very good operator. And that's really what I hope that you guys, you know, uh, aspire to be is good operators. You can be good marketers. You can be 
you know, you kind of have to be, uh, if you're a founder, you have to be kind of good at, at all these things. But fundamentally, execution is what wins the battle, right? Uh, I, I had a episode sometime back, maybe a couple of years back about logistics with a logistics experts. And we talked about how logistics are what actually win the war, right? And we were talking about various things from history and, and so forth. But the truth is, you know, we're seeing a, a tragic war unfold right now, and we're watching the logistical impacts of how uh, devastating those consequences are when they're not uh, done well. And, and I want you guys to know, you've got to move your product from point A to B. You've got to anticipate some of the changes in the marketplace, whether it's shipping disruptions or pricing. You've got to be nimble, and you've got to not spend so far ahead of the curve anticipating that the line's just going to go straight up, that you don't put yourself into a, uh, a pickle, so to speak. I don't want you in a pickle. Uh, all right, listen, everybody, I'm going to jump for now. I actually uh, went on a little bit of a rant there, and uh, my apologies. I hope that you find some value in this, and I, I want to reiterate, there's nothing but upside, no better time than the present to be in this business. Uh, E-commerce and Amazon or Shopify or just being in e-commerce in general, right, is a great place to be. It's the best place to be. And it will be the next best place to be or the, the best place to be for the next 20 years, probably. This is still the relative beginning of this. You know, this this time, I've been in it more than 20 years, but that's we're just at the end of the beginning, but not the beginning of the end. Uh, as a famous Winston Churchill quote uh, happened, right? So we've got our first generation of e-commerce done uh, at 20 plus years into this thing. But now we're going to start moving into maturity where execution and uh, innovation and other things will all kind of coalesce to give people an advantage. And if you can make that happen, if you can find those those wrinkles of opportunity and really lean into it and make a brand out of it, that's where you can you can hit it big. And there will be endless, endless opportunities. So anyway, I, uh, I love uh, entrepreneurs, as you guys know. I appreciate you all joining. And we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye-bye.